I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Lawn Kings, headquartered in Los Angeles, California, is a synthetic grass company specializing in front and backyard transformations. Lawn Kings sells and expertly installs synthetic grass for homes, commercial buildings, sports fields, and theme parks in the Southern California area. Lawn Kings has perfected their craft over the last decade, and the majority of their business comes by way of referrals from happy customers. Lawn Kings synthetic grass is safe for kids and pets and can dramatically reduce your water bill. The grass is very low maintenance and comes with a long-term warranty. If you'd like a free estimate, head over to LawnKingsInc.com and tell them Jamie from Murderish sent you. I know the owner on a first-name basis because, well, he's my husband. My husband Steve has owned and operated Lawn Kings for the last 10 years, and he's a licensed contractor. He got his start in the business building outdoor sets for the movie industry for almost 20 years. He really knows his stuff, and he's kind of a nice guy. So head over to LawnKingsInc.com if you'd like more information or a free estimate in the Los Angeles or surrounding areas. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of Murderish. Today you're in for a real treat, but before I get into those details, I want to discuss a recent bit of exciting news. It was recently announced that the Dirty John podcast is being turned into a TV show on Bravo Channel. If you haven't heard the episodes already, I interviewed some of the ladies involved in the Dirty John saga. Take a listen to those episodes if you haven't already. I am so excited about the Dirty John story being turned into a TV show and I'll be waiting very impatiently for the show to air. I'm hearing that taping will begin sometime this summer. 
Connie Britton will star in the TV show and play the role of Deborah Newell, who was Dirty John's last love interest and victim before he died. I'm very curious to see who will play the role of Dirty John in the show. Tara Newell mentioned that she and her mom would like to see the actor John Hamm play the role of Dirty John. I think that would be spot on. Other people in the Murderish Facebook group have suggested Chris Noth, Mr. Big from Sex and the City, or Alex Baldwin. Whoever they choose, I'm sure the show will be a big hit because people, including me, are fascinated with the story as it's a real-life true crime that was absolutely made for TV. So, about today's episode. Recently, an opportunity for a great interview came my way thanks to my friend Carrie Martin, who co-hosts the White Wine True Crime Podcast. Carrie has been so supportive, and she seems to act as sort of a connector for many people, including me. So, a big thank you to Carrie for making this interview possible. Okay, so you're probably wondering who I'm interviewing in this episode. For those of you who are fans of the TV channel Investigation Discovery, you may have heard of a show called Murder Chose Me. Murder Chose Me is hosted and narrated by Rod Demery, a retired homicide detective who now works as a special investigator for the district attorney's office in Shreveport, Louisiana. Rod has lived a very fascinating life and is no stranger to tragedy. When he was just three years old, Rod's mother was murdered. Rod never really got the true story of what happened to his mother, so in his 20s, he took matters into his own hands and ultimately solved the case of his mother's murder. Through the process, Rod had the opportunity to interrogate his mother's murderer face-to-face. Can you even imagine what that experience was like for him? We discuss it in depth during the interview you're about to hear. When Rod was a young adult, murder came back into his life and resulted in his own brother being convicted and sentenced to life in prison for murdering someone. Rod also opened up about that incident and how it impacted him. Rod and I discuss everything from what makes a killer to whether OJ did it, to some of Rod's most memorable cases working as a homicide detective. I think you're really going to enjoy the interview with Rod. I do want to offer an apology for misstating an important acronym during the interview. Rod and I talked about the reasons why cases involving minorities, such as the LGBTQ plus community, aren't publicized to the magnitude of cases like the John Benet Ramsey case, for example. When the topic came up, I misstated the LGBTQ plus acronym, and I'm so sorry about that. The LGBTQ plus community is near and dear to my heart, and I think it's important to use proper terminology when discussing this community. Okay, I think it's time to get on with the show. I hope you enjoy my interview with Rod Demery of Murder Chose Me on Investigation Discovery. So, Rod, you've obviously spent a lot of years in, uh, you know, violent crime unit as a homicide detective. You retired in 2016. Uh-huh. And so now you you work now as a special homicide investigator for the district attorney's office. Right. With all that as well, you also are the star of a show called Murder Chose Me on Investigation Discovery. Yeah, that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> I, you know what? I think it is a lot. The true crime genre has become so popular. Mm-hmm. You know, people binge on, you know, all the TV shows, the podcasts, the documentaries. And I'm one of those people, too. I'm one of those true crime obsessed people that, uh, you know, I was one of those weirdos as a kid that uh, was reading books on serial killers, you know, as a teenager. And my mom's like, I think something might be wrong with my daughter. (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's just fascinating because for me, I like to get into I'm fascinated by the psych of a killer, you know, because they're just so different from the average human being 
Right. It, what makes their brains different, I don't know, but it's just, it's very fascinating. So I have some questions surrounding that. But um, wanted to thank you for being here today, first thank of all. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, me too. So I had also read in my research that you are a Navy veteran yeah. as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you. You, you are yeah, got actually, a very impressive background. It was um, the 27th anniversary that we got back from Desert Storm. Wow. Yeah, so let's just come back and forth on social media with some guys that I was in the Navy with. I would imagine those are some uh, deep-rooted friendships, yeah, yeah, given definitely. what you know what you all went through together. Yeah, definitely. So, well, thank you for your service. You. So, you know, I know you experienced significant tragedy during your childhood, mm-hmm. and that I believe ultimately led you into a career in criminal justice. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up? Yeah, I um, my mother was killed. I was three, mm-hmm. and uh, my um, family is originally from a place called Natchez Parish in Louisiana. Yeah, it's a little small typical Louisiana town. In fact, still Magnolias was, was filmed there. Oh, so it's a really charming little place. After my mother was killed, my grandparents moved my brother and I to New Mexico. Mm. And I grew up in New Mexico. So um, I didn't have a whole lot of memories of Louisiana, mm-hmm. you know, except for the times we came back and forth for little vacations. But um, so I grew up in New Mexico. and That's a different environment. I didn't know a lot about Louisiana or Louisiana culture other mm-hmm. than what my grandparents told me. But um uh, New Mexico was it, and I spent most of my summers in L.A. So growing up there, yeah, it's kind of a, a different feel. You know, it's a place that it's not like the South or even uh, New York or L.A. It's big melting pot. You know, you have all these people that come in, most from the military, so you have all kinds of different cultures. And it's uh, now that I, uh, you know, in retrospect, I, I had a pretty fortunate environment where I grew up. That's good to hear. Yeah, because so. yeah, that's, that's not an easy situation. Yeah. So when you were three years old, your mother moved away in search of a new life. Um, mm-hmm. What were the issues at the time that she was trying to escape? What, yeah. what, why did you was know, she in I, search of a new life? I, you know, I think um, my, um, in, in Natchez Parish, it was still very rural country. Mm-hmm. And I think she was probably attracted to something bigger and better. So she got married, and the guy that she married uh, moved her down to Texas. It was pretty close to Houston. Mm-hmm. It was on the Gulf Coast down there. So I think maybe she thought that, um, you know, like most people, you know, get away and see the world, I guess, you know, and, um, you know, eventually she was supposed to come back for my brother and I, she lived down there with him for just a a little while. I think I was a year old when they got married. There were some serious issues of domestic abuse, which Mm. I didn't find out until later, Mm. but it was quite a bit older than her. And I think um, that kind of played a part. And my mother was, uh, you know, she was not a passive person from what I know. And he was a pretty controlling guy. Mm. And I think it just escalated And most, and you know, it's, typical of domestic violence you know it's uh, usually a man that can't control a woman's thoughts or he's intimidated by a woman's mm-hmm. intelligence or independence it usually turns to violence mm-hmm. i mean what else can they do besides physically dominate them mm-hmm. so that whole situation blew up and eventually she decided she was going to leave him and as she did he shot her um and he you know i i didn't know a lot about it at the time you know my grandparents were pretty sheltering you know heard bits and pieces about you know some believe he did it purposely, and you know he had told the police that it was an accident. He never went to jail, so mm. yeah, it was kind of a vague thing in my mind. But as I got older, obviously, uh, I looked into it and actually investigated, and I found out all the details of it. And um, it was just as I thought: domestic violence. He shot her nine times in the back as she was trying to leave, and um, you know went to the police, and they let him go. So you know, it's a. Uh, but you know, if you go back to that time. You know, 1969, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, the women's uh, rights movement had just started. 
and obviously the equal rights for or mm-hmm. civil rights for for black people was just getting kicked off. So you know, I don't know that they had a whole lot of value for mm-hmm. for that kind of uh, life or an investigation of that of uh, a murder like that. Ironically, I called um, before I went to Texas to start the investigation, and one of the ladies that worked there for the court, she told me that she, I mean, she's very blunt. She, you know, she said, you know, it's 1969, you know, women didn't have a whole lot of rights and your mother was black and nobody really wow. you know, did a lot in those days. So it was pretty interesting to pull the court records and listen to the attitudes and the tone. And yeah, so it was uh, something that you, you know, you can hear about, but you really don't know until you get into it. Very true. Yeah. It, it's, and it's, it's sad to say, but yeah, we have, I like to think we've come a long way. We have actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Quite a long ways. But, you know, we still have those issues. And, um, you know, it's a big part of violent crime, actually, is domestic violence. And, uh, you know, it's always something that I've always worked with on the side. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a pretty big deal. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that. I was a, um, I served as a juror on a, mm-hmm. a first degree murder trial last year up in mm-hmm. Santa Clarita, where I live here mm-hmm. in L.A. County. And it was the exact scenario you just painted, mm-hmm. uh, domestic violence. And it, ha- it escalated very quickly. They were only knew each other for five months, got mm-hmm. married in between that time, much older man, mm-hmm. very controlling. And it was interesting because, you know, several of his previous girlfriends testified at the trial, but they were mm-hmm. very submissive. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, they survived. The one who was not submissive, she was a very spicy kind of girl, right. give it right back to mm-hmm. you. And that's exactly what happened. And it escalated and he just couldn't yeah. handle it. And he, he killed her. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a very familiar story. I think probably all of those cases, the basis of them or mm-hmm. the, the major elements are going to be identical. Yeah. Yeah. It happens far too often. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So later in life, in your adulthood, you began seeking the truth about your mother's murder. What prompted your search for the truth and how'd you begin that process? You know, I don't know. It just um I always had that curiosity and I, and I always wanted to know, but I just did it one day. You know, yeah. I, um, I was working as a burglary detective and um, I knew where the place was. So I drove down to the little city and start pulling records. I got the autopsy report, the police reports. And um, there were a few people that were still around that were there when it happened, did some interviews. And I went back to Shreveport and uh, located the guy who actually did it. Hmm. He was in the hospital, uh, had heart attack, quadruple bypass or something. I don't know. But um, I videotaped him at that time and, and kind of interrogated him, I guess, and um, just wanted to get the story from him, you mm-hmm. know, like, to look at him, have him look at me and explain to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he did. And, well, he explained his, his original story. I don't think I expected him ever to just tell the truth. I didn't think that was possible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I got all the details and, you know, and confirmed it. You know, ironically, it's just like a regular homicide investigation, you know, you just kind of go through it and. You feel better, I guess, after you know what happened. Sure. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's pretty interesting, you know, when I talk to younger homicide detectives, especially, uh, you know, ones that I had trained, it's, you know, your job is really not to find somebody and punish them for what they did. Mm-hmm. It's just to find out what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, in retrospect, I, I think it's probably the, the unknown that really bothers people, you know, not really knowing what happened. Oh, you yeah. know, is this person free or. You know, and I think once you answer those questions, you know, you just kind of let it go from there, you know, eventually or hopefully it gets dealt with. I think the other part of it is, is that it gives a lot of people hope where they didn't have it, you know, because, you know, the murder happens 10 years ago and there hadn't been any closure, then the family's probably still under duress or some sort of stress. But um, I found out the truth 40 years later. So there's always that light at the end of the tunnel. It may not come when you want it, but it eventually comes around. 
Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad that you got that because I can't mm. even imagine, you know, uh, the tragedy like that happening and, and that probably that burning feeling inside of you, knowing that mm. you were never really given the truth. Right. And you also wanted probably justice for your mother. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it sounds like this man was fairly truthful with you. He was. He told you what happened. Mm. He did. He told me that um, he and my mother were together. And I mean, he admitted some of the parts of it that were pretty controlling. You know, he Mm. talked about how he didn't like for her to go out and, you know, she would come back in late or stay out all night or something like that. So, you know, that undertone was there. It was pretty clear. He cried and, you know, he got emotional at times. And, um, you know, it was totally not authentic. But, you know, uh, I think I wasn't really looking for that. I didn't expect it from him, I guess. Uh, It's just a matter of just getting the answers for myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I can't say that I, I felt one way or the other afterwards, mm-hmm. but um, I guess maybe it was just better to know. Yeah. You know, kind of put that stuff to rest. Oh, definitely. I can imagine. Yeah. And so um, there was nothing that could have been done from a legal standpoint. You said he never got convicted or charged. No, he didn't. Um, in fact, he um, he was charged with what's called, yeah, I guess back in that day, murder without malice, mm. which is you know, kind of akin to maybe a manslaughter. Mm-hmm. You know, I did it, but I didn't mean to do it yeah. kind of thing. But um, at that point, he, you know, he was in his 70s and he was broken out of pathetic and, you know, his heart failed. I mean, you know, literally and figuratively. And um, I think probably after that interview, maybe, you know, not long after that, he died. So, oh, wow. the, you know, I don't know, maybe he was uh, just hanging around long enough for me to find out what happened. (laughs) I'm so glad he did because I'm sure you are. I mean, it just, you know, at least you got those answers and um, things, I guess, happen the way they're supposed to, but you definitely, you got some answers and that's what you were in search of. So that's great. So, and I won't harp on this anymore, but I did have some, you know, still some more questions surrounding that if you don't mind. Okay. Because I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff too. So I I think I'd read somewhere that um, there may have been a police Cover up in your mom's case, yeah, or do you yeah. still believe there was some sort of? Well, you know that's um that's a it's, it's always a big question whether there's a cover up or just gross incompetence, and sometimes there's a little of both. I did a domestic violence seminar not too long ago back in Shreveport, and there was a lady that was explaining what she believed was a cover up, how a victim can go to the police or to their priest or to whomever, mm-hmm. and everybody kind of pushes it aside. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my, my response or my comment to that is because a lot of people beat their wives and their girlfriends. So it's a, it's a cultural thing mm-hmm. rather than a, you know, a legal issue mm-hmm. because it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of unreasonable to think that somebody or a prosecutor or a judge or a police officer that lives that type of lifestyle or believes that type of philosophy would, you know, have any real concern for a victim. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where the problem comes in. And, and back then, I think it was pretty much the same thing. You know, they, this guy had a pretty good standing in the community. You know, he was a hardworking guy. He was in oil and gas. And, you know, and it was kind of a kind of a one of those cultures. And I, and I don't know that part of it's cover up because they don't really care to get it out. The other part is, uh, you know, they kind of condone it. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a, there, there are a lot of different reasons, but um, I think as of late, you know, it, it's starting to, to get a little better, you know, for domestic violence victims right. where it was before. No one really, you know. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, in the case of, of your mother, especially back at that time. And I think, unfortunately, this still happens today. There's mm-hmm. a, there's 
a lot of victim blaming. So oh, yeah, like when absolutely. you said something that just struck a chord with me earlier, when you said, you know, he was mad about my mom staying out late. Mm-hmm. You know, I can just imagine in my head because I think people still do it today. Is oh, they yeah, say, absolutely. well, what's a woman doing staying out so late? Mm-hmm. She needs to be in front of the stove cooking and she needs to be home for right. her man. Right. And especially back then. So mm-hmm. I, but I still think that people do that today. Women have a certain, it's like people expect women oh, to, yeah. to be a certain way. And if you're not, it's very easy for people to victim blame and it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens it a is. lot. It is. Um, and unfortunately you're right. That, that happens a lot. And you know, one of the bigger questions, why didn't she just leave? Well, <laughs> yeah, oh. it's kind of, it's kind of a, a silly question, but people still ask that question. I they mean, it, yeah. And I think that's just education. You know, I don't know that people are really, really well educated or well versed on how it works and, and the dynamics of it. And partly because it is part of a culture, you know, kids grow up seeing it, you know, and, to a certain extent, it's almost accepted. Yeah. Um, so the tide's just starting to change. And, uh, you know, I would say in the last five or six years, really. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And if you're somebody who's got some sort of notoriety, I mean, gosh, yeah. I hate to bring it up, but like O.J. Simpson, you know, oh, it's yeah. like, you know, he's a hero and he, he was in people's mm-hmm. minds and nobody wants to believe that. Probably so much easier to just kind of brush it under the, under the rug and say, no, 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 yeah. you know, yeah. O.J. wouldn't do that. And, you know, not our O.J. Yeah, yeah. People don't want to believe it. They don't want to yeah. believe it. But I mm-hmm. do agree with you that I think a lot of that still goes on today. I mean, gosh, politicians, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. stars, oh, yeah. all kinds yeah, of people. It's a, it's a control and power thing. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot has changed since 68. It's just uh, a different way of doing it, I guess. You I know, guess it's so. gotten a little better, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's got to be a, a, a pretty tough environment to be in. Definitely. Yeah, we, I'm sure we still have a long ways to go on that. Yeah. Who do you think your mother would be today? Yeah, you know, I, that's that's now that's probably one of the biggest questions I've ever had, yeah. and, I, and I never really thought about it. And I wonder what it would be like, you know, because uh, gosh, she'd probably be seventy two, seventy one, seventy two. You know, from what I knew about my mother, she was um, she was really smart, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, she was a pianist, and you know, she was really, really smart. I recently found um, someone watched the show in Natchitoches Parish, and I went and did a parade. Mm-hmm. in the little hometown where she was. And there was this guy that was waving in the crowd and he gave me uh, her school records. And, um, so cool. you know, that, that was pretty amazing because, you know, she had these handwritten autobiographies and, yeah. you know, she was, I think she was in eighth grade at the time. And she talked about how she wanted to be a nurse and, oh, you know, how she loved cool. New Mexico when she went to go visit um, and come back to Louisiana, how different it was. And it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. So I think she would probably definitely be in self, uh, you know, service industries, whether it be a nurse or something like that. She, um, I think that was her nature. Yeah. Uh, A a nurturer. Oh yeah. She said she hated math and, but she had really good grades in math. So it was kind of, I saw some similarities because I, I hate math. (laughs) So you're a lot like your mom that way, but what a cool gift for you to receive that you just fell into your lap. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, was pretty pretty cool. And it's uh, all handwritten. That's so cool. So, and you know, it's, uh, I talked to my brother, um, a while back when the show first started, and, you know, it's like, wow, you know, everybody's talking about you on television. Mm-hmm. So, well, dude, you know, it's, it only meant one thing, really. You know, and I told him, you know, in 1969, no one really cared about her murder. You know, yeah. so everybody in the world knows her name. So it's that this whole immortalizing thing that, that yeah. turned out to be pretty cool. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Through, through, you know, your success and, yeah. and the success of the show, everybody knows your mom's name. And that's yeah, a cool yeah. thing. Like, what would she think about all yeah, this? You know, you know that's and, and, again, and it actually leapfrogs because there are so many victims that in, in the cases that we you know, right. show now, you know, there, there were kids that were murdered or youngsters that were murdered that, you know, I call them kids because I'm getting older, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, inner city kids or someone that nobody really knew a whole lot about or even cared for that matter. And yeah. 
you know, it's, it's kind of cool to get a, a letter from somebody or a message from somebody. Yeah. You know, so I'll, so I'll ask you too, cause I've wondered about this. Some of my other podcast friends, um, they have podcasts that are focused more on like lesser known cases and things mm. like that. And unfortunately a lot of the like, you know, LGBTQ mm-hmm. community, um, black community, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Why aren't those cases as popular well, you know, as I all think, these um, like Jean Benet Ramsey and yeah, 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 yeah. We, um, we have a, a very judgmental society. Yeah. And I think this season actually coming up, you'll see a story of a murderer of a LGBT mm-hmm. community, how that entire community was victimized. And it, and it kind of shows how that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't go into great detail, but, um, it's precisely that, you know, you have, you have so many different attitudes that people have towards people for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I just don't, I, I can't really say what a, a civilian or, or independent citizen thinks because they are, they have a right to feel and think, but as a police officer or a, you know, someone in the system that's supposed to protect everybody, then mm-hmm. you don't really get the, the luxury of having that type of attitude. And if you do, you're in the wrong, wrong line of business. So Absolutely. So, during your investigation, just, you know, as a homicide detective, at what point do you make an arrest? What do you need in order to make an arrest? I think you have to, well, for me, I was never comfortable until I got a confession. Mm. Um, you know, but I think if you have enough evidence to kind of show that somebody had the, the means, opportunity, and, you know, it always helps to have a, a good witness and some physical evidence. But for me, it was, uh, I had to have a story, you know, yeah. and, you know, someone couldn't just come in and say, you know, Hey, I shot this person. No, they got to tell me how many times, you know, what did you do with yeah. the gun? You know, I yeah. want to get intimate details because that's important, you know, cause there's always going to be a question. And if you go back to the OJ case, I mean, they had mountains of physical evidence, but, um, that it missed that personal mm-hmm. story from somebody that can actually tell the story. And, you know, that can be that, that confession or that statement can come from the suspect, which I always preferred. But Mm -hmm. if someone was there, it's uh, even, you know, just effective. But um, I guess to arrest someone, it doesn't really take a whole lot to be quite honest with Mm -hmm. you. Um, Whether or not it makes it through the systems, another thing. But um, for me, that was the point. I had to have somebody that could give me a good, credible story of what happened. And, you know, it's just gumshoe detective work, you know, nowadays everybody's looking for some sort of CSI magic. But, but, you know, the reality is, is if you have a gun and, you know, it's the murder weapon. Okay, you got a gun, but did you pull the trigger? Mm -hmm. You know, so how do you get that that extra extra bit? And I think removing all doubt and I know it's a reasonable doubt standard, but I think removing all doubt is probably the best way to go. You know, it's not always going to happen, obviously, but um. Yeah, the closer you can get to it, the better. So you you achieved a strikingly high success rate with regard to confessions um, and solving cases as a whole. What was your strategy and why did it work so well? It um, it sounds so trite when I say, but it's true. You know, I I really believe that that was my calling. You know, I don't Uh think that I have any special skills or, or, you know, better than the next detective. It's just that, you know, I think that's what I was prepared to do. I mean, I could actually relate to the person who was mourning the death of somebody and someone who actually did it. And I mean, there were people, you know, it's just bringing that human element to it. And uh, I think that makes the difference. And the other thing is I was totally obsessed with it. I mean, I couldn't do anything except that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say often it made me a good detective, but a a bad friend or, you know, uh, husband or whatever, you know, it didn't work. But, um, for that, I was really good because, uh, it's all I did, you know, yeah. it's a singular obsession and 
I don't know that you could actually do that job and not feel that way, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to think about, you know, birthday dinners or holidays or kids' soccer games when yeah. you just told this person that their their kid was dead. So it's, um, I think you got to be cut from a special, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of call who you can suspend everything else in life. And, yes. um, thinking that, you know, days off vacations or anything like that, then you probably got the wrong job. Yeah, that, yeah, it's interesting you say that because yeah. I that was one of my questions is that you know you probably yeah. have to be you're married to your job. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so there's got to be unfortunately you know negative effects that spill over yeah. into your personal relationships. Yeah. I can't yeah. imagine how you could successfully do both. Yeah, yeah I don't think you can. Probably I think, so tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, it, and it was. I mean, but you make that decision at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're standing on a crime scene. Or going to a crime scene, your phone rings, and you know that the other person on the other end, especially if you're married, is going to be really upset. But yeah, you don't care, <laughs> you know. You either, you know, push that delete, you because know, you reject just, button, and just keep going. You've got <laughs> you know? that singular focus, and, yeah. and I'm sure you've got a connection with the family members, and you're just yeah. trying to try really hard to bring them justice yeah. and bring them answers. And so, yeah, yeah. that's that job is definitely not for everyone. We were yeah. talking yeah. about that before you got here. What's been one of your most frustrating cases and why? I think the cases that were always most uh, frustrating were the kids with uh, juveniles. I mean, uh, mm. uh, younger kids, you know, babies and that, I mean, because you can't wrap your mind around it. Or even cases with elderly um, victims, mm. you know, just can't, you, you can't understand that, you know, that, you know, what type of person wants to victimize somebody that can't defend themselves, you know, and those are the hardest to, you know, maintain that professionalism and stay focused on the case because mm-hmm. you really want to, you know, you want to reach out. But um, those are probably the most frustrating. Not, you know, the cases, though, um, I can't say that I got frustrated working the cases. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many different factors and most homicides, homicide detectives or police officers, for that matter, will tell you. It's never the external factors. It's mm-hmm. inside, you know, it's the politics inside the job. It's the, you know, and not many of them complain about the low pay because we're good with that. Um, it's, you know, it's the thanklessness and not that you really want somebody to congratulate you. Thank you. We just want to leave you alone. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah. so, you know, those are the things that are most frustrating is because you know what you're doing and you know where your heart is. And maybe somebody that's working with you knows that, but there are so many people that just don't get it. Yeah. yeah. You know, they think you're just out being whatever, uh, you know, your personality is different. You know, mm-hmm. you come off as cocky or arrogant. You no, know, you've got to be. I mean, you're sure. chasing people with guns. I mean, I couldn't I imagine know. a meek homicide detective, you know. Oh, it's my God, just, can uh, you imagine? Yeah, yeah. So you, and that, and the guys that you work with are exactly the same. So you don't get along. So it's, right. it's pretty isolating. But um, the frustration comes from, you know, the, the inner politics and, yeah. and and personal relationships. But the job isn't frustrating at all yeah yeah. at least for me it wasn't so when you're you've obviously sat in the room with some really really bad guys and probably Mm -hmm. women too what's i mean i'm sure you've come across a few sociopaths in your in your time i mean what is it like sitting in front of these like the true you know let's excuse the not excuse but let's not think about like the crimes of passion Mm -hmm. but like the really true like cold-blooded sociopath you know killer what 
Can you see it in their eyes? I mean, what? Oh, yeah. What you yeah. can? Oh, that's really you a can. thing. It's, in it. yeah, it's, it's, it's it's really creepy, actually. Um, you know, the old detectives always tell you when you go in as a rookie, you're going to know your suspect when you meet him because you do. I mm-hmm. mean, you can just see it; it just oozes out of them. But the ones that are just really crazy and depraved, you, it's just hard to keep a straight face. But you know, you, when you leave and you're whoever you're with, whatever detective, you got a guy. This dude is Satan, you know, Ugh. because they're yeah, they're they're pretty bad people. Yeah. Um, the object, though, is to somehow, you know, get beyond that, you know, and just kind of jump over it and go to the person because there's something about them that's human. And right. it's just tapping into that that area that I think the the difficult part is is being able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, once you get that done, you're you're there. Sounds like you wear many hats as a detective, you yeah. know, somewhat psychologist, some, mm-hmm. you know, just all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's it's. You know, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other work that's as fascinating, you know. I don't think so. (laughs) You know, and and in police work, I worked a couple different things, you know, narcotics, robbery, you know, burglary, but sex crimes and and homicide, those are really passionate human crimes. Mm -hmm. And it requires such a a, a personal connection and investment. And, uh, you know, I I think that's what I liked about work in those cases. And, and, you know, I, I, I applaud all the advances in forensics but uh now you gotta you gotta be a police to make that happen (laughs) you know it's just a connection yeah definitely i know everybody kind of wants to get all that i guess maybe it's the oj case that brought it out but it's like everybody's like well where's the dna yeah you know and you're like there's not always that hey guys I'm Tyler. And I'm Maya. And we are Murder on the Mind. Murder on the Mind. We're interested in the scary, mysterious, and horrific things that happen in everyday life. Ooh. Ooh. From serial killers to mysteries and even a good old spooky ghost story. We talk about all things creepy all the time. Weekly. And you can catch us on iTunes or wherever else you get your fine podcasts. Check us out. Murder on the Mind. Murder on the Mind. So, uh, Rod, in your 20s, um, tragedy struck again uh, when your brother was convicted of murder, uh, and I think he was sentenced to life in prison. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened and how that impacted you? Yeah, I can give you um, some basics of it. Sure, please. Get real deep into it because I don't really understand the dynamics of it. But uh, my brother, um, uh, I had just gotten back from uh, Japan. I think I was in the military from a deployment, and my brother came to me and told me he just killed someone. And um, he was covered in blood and he, um, you know, it was one of those whole drug things, whatever. But um, I took him to the police and he, they took him away and he was, he was convicted. Uh, I didn't stick around for the trial. I didn't do anything, any of that stuff. And it was probably 15 years before I actually talked to him again because I just didn't want to. And the effect that it had was the fact that it was just he and I. And, yeah. you know, my brother had seen what we went through growing up and I just couldn't get past that. So. Ironically, it was probably easier for me to um, forgive the guy who killed my mother than my brother because um, my brother actually owed me something, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, we've gotten beyond that, and you know, we um, have a, a a very good relationship now. Good. But um, and on the on the flip side of that, it um it definitely made me a better detective, you know. Cause I could always look back, you know, my brother was a regular guy, you yeah, know, you know, riding bikes, you know, yeah. or doing whatever we did, you know, uh, Ataris and you know stuff like that. But um, when I talk to 
someone who is, has committed the same type of crime. Now, I don't automatically look at this mm-hmm. person and say, you know, they're, they're a monster. And they very well may be, mm-hmm. but I do have the ability to know that there's something in them that, you know, at some point they weren't. So, right. So it's kind of easy to kind of extrapolate the, the, the good from them, I guess, if, yeah. if hadn't I had that experience. So. Interesting dichotomy, obviously, just, you know, you've spent your whole career putting the quote unquote, you know, the bad guy away. And here you find yourself with such a close family member who's found himself on the wrong side of the law. So I just can't imagine how that was for you. I'm glad to hear you all. You have a relationship today. That must have been hard. I think um, I think when you when you look at crime, especially violent crime and murder, I don't I don't think it's a personal thing when it comes to someone committing a crime that you should be looking at. I think it's a personal thing for the victim and the survivors and the people working it. That's where the passion should come. I don't know that you should look at the person who did it as, as the, the human element mm-hmm. because, you know, there, there's obviously at some point where they get to their point where they do whatever. Well, we can deal with that, you know, and go to prison forever, but you, you have to maintain that whole human side when you deal with the other people. So it's, it's a difficult balance. In that, you know? Yeah, I can so. imagine. What was one of your most memorable cases and why? It was a domestic violence case, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. There was a young lady, and her boyfriend was uh, quite a bit older than her, and he um, he beat her, I mean, senselessly. He locked her inside the house when he went to work, and he came home one day, and it's Louisiana, right? So she cooks for him, feeds him some red beans and rice, and um, he falls asleep on the couch, and she walks up and shot him in the back of the head. And um, Oh, wow, so she shot him. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh wow. He took him out, and... It was actually my first homicide, so I guess that's probably why I remember it so much. But yeah, you know, there was so much with all the the guys that were working with me and my training officers. They're telling me that you know I know this is a suicide because she tried to stage the scene, but um, she just looked at me and started crying, you know. And and so I don't know, it just kind of stuck in my head because uh, you know she was clearly a victim. But, sure, uh, I actually went to prison, but she didn't get life. I think she got ten or fifteen years, but. Yeah. I think it's cases like that or the pregnant girl. She was you know, five months pregnant and she was murdered. I mean, it's cases like that just kind of, mm. you know, stick with you. That one was tough to watch. That, oh, that yeah. was, uh, ended up on one of the episodes. Yeah. Uh, that was extremely, mm. so cold-blooded. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But going back to the domestic violence, that's got to be hard for you because you look at her. She's obviously a victim and yeah. she just had enough. And, yeah, she did some things. She staged yeah. the scene and all yeah. that. but. You can't help but feel for her and go, if that were my sister, I'd still love her and go, you probably did, probably saved your own life by doing that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's probably tough for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and and I think that's uh, another way detectives can succeed is, you know, you got to kind of realize that you you gather all the evidence, facts, and information and give it to the courts. I mean, but when you start to get, you know, I want this person to go to jail or I don't want, that's where you, you, you have a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was able, thank God, to just do it and just cut it off, you know, because um, you, you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah, then I'm sure you've been called in, you know, as a witness mm-hmm. on some of yeah. these trials. And, you know, when you're doing your work, are you, you probably not because you're just so laser focused on what you're doing and getting justice. But do you ever, are you ever cognizant of the fact that, this could end up in a jury trial and I've got to watch my P's and Q's and do this investigation right because you don't want the defense to be able to uh, attack the credibility no, no, or do you just not get that far? No, you don't. And, and I, but I've, I've worked with people that did and it, and it kind of skews their investigations, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I can imagine. you know, I, yeah, I think the closest I ever get to it, you know, are the, are the major things like, mm-hmm. is this person drunk or under the influence of, drugs or alcohol when I advise them of their rights, you know, yeah. just maintaining their, you know, constitutional rights, but all the other stuff, not really. Um, 
And it was interesting for me. I, I, I rarely prepared for trials, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't read reports and stuff because it's in my mind. It's right in the, in, the, you yeah. know, in the front of my mind, but, um, obviously dates and times and stuff. But I think when you do that, it's kind of, you're, you're kind of trying to present it for, and uh, I think that was another thing that, that worked for me because I really didn't care what, yeah. you know, you know, what yeah. everybody else thought. And, uh, you're trying to get justice. Yeah. You, yeah you're not yeah. really worried about, you know, the defense attorney and that, yeah. that's all yeah. like you, you probably put it on the yeah. shelf at that point. Yeah. My yeah. job is, done yeah for the most part i'm moving on yeah and, and after a few cases uh, you know a few years it doesn't really work like that because most defense attorneys they know you and they know your reputation and they know what you're going to do what you're not going to do yeah you know, but um when you you're going to have a hard time if you, you know and that's i mean that's anything in life you try to see what somebody else is gonna oh yeah prove a thing. so now I, I never really gave that a whole lot of thought and I guess you you just acted me recognize that. I think that's probably one of the things that, that, that worked a lot for me. Yeah. Obviously, I would imagine one of the toughest parts of your job is delivering the news yeah. to these families. I mean, it's something like, you know, a person like me who doesn't do the work you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I cannot watch those scenes without shedding a tear. Yeah, and so, yeah. I mean, have you ever become visibly, I'm sorry, emotional when you've delivered the news or you're just able to? Yeah, yeah. I just do it in... Um... Later, sometimes I do, you know, sometimes, um, you know, after I get somebody in jail, yeah. uh, you know, you kind of feel those emotions when everything is over, sure. you know, thank God, you know, because yeah. you know, operating emotionally wouldn't work. But yeah, I think, um, you know, after a trial, you know, like, yeah. you know, stick around to say anything to the family because you would be emotional, Definitely. you know, but, um, no, delivering the news is, um, I think, um, I hated it. I mean, more than anything on earth, but, um it kind of motivates you because you are responsible to that person now. Yeah. And um, their reaction, which you think you can predict, you can't, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it kind of pushes you because you, at that point you owe them, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I don't know that you go back or, and say, you know, I didn't do it, <laughs> you know? So, you know, you stand out weeks trying to solve this case. So. Yeah. It sounds like you, t- you just from watching the show, uh, it looks like you take a pretty, direct approach and just yeah. be honest. Like you, yeah. you know, you owe it to them, I guess, oh, yeah. you know, and yeah, you just, yeah. you're just honest. Yeah, you just tell yeah. them what it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe in that. You know, this person's expired, they're deceased or they died and now yeah. they were murdered. And, uh, you know, you, you want to stay focused. I think that actually gives the, the, the family or the survivor some confidence in you, you know, yeah. because, you know, they know you're not going to bullshit them, try to make them feel better. You know, yeah. they know you're going to do what you got to do. And, gets you a lot further than try to be empathetic. You know, we had pastors on patrol or, or, or clergy members or, or chaplains that we would, you know, sometimes bring along to, to comfort them. But, um, you know, my job was to go find out who did it. And I wanted them to know that. I want to convey that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of didn't like to see, you know, police officers or detectives that got emotionally involved because mm-hmm. to me it was an excuse, <laughs> you know, you yeah. know, you want to build a report so they'll like you more, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, yeah. I don't know. I'm not yeah. a, I'm not a homicide detective yeah. and all that, you know, but it, it's, it's not your tragedy. It's yeah. theirs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it probably would be uh, kind of strange yeah. to yeah. see you getting yeah. emotional yeah. in front yeah. of them when it's like, that's, yeah. that's their tragedy. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't want someone to say, Oh, he tried really hard. I don't, I don't need that. I want him to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So something I'm really curious about is, you know, like I said earlier, besides crimes of passion, what do you think makes a person turn into a murderer? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it a combination? Yeah, I, I think it's everybody tough. has that um, capacity. I think it's innate. I think people have a primal instinct and I think people are capable. Everybody's capable of killing because you have some instances you have to kill to survive, you know, mm-hmm. or, or protect someone. I think though, 
when people go too far, it's just somebody that didn't have any control over that at all. You know, at some point they lose it. It's like they can't control their emotions. And yeah, that's why, you know, murder is always a passionate crime. Unless, of course, it's a contract killing or, mm. you know, a psychopath, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. serial killer. But for the most part, it's um, somebody lost control. And I think for that reason, working murders is a lot easier than working robberies, you know, because I worked robbery. And I, I had a guy that I worked with. He said, you know, um, somebody robs a convenience store because they're open. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's all it takes, right? But to kill somebody, they had to do something or yeah. felt like someone did something to them. So it kind of narrows down that pool. Now, right. Obviously, there are the people out there that, uh, but even then, you know, hired killer, they whoever hired him has some sort of connection to the victim. Or, right. You know, so everything short of a psychopath, uh, yeah. it's uh, some sort of connection. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's all these infamous you know, cases and some of them have not been solved. If, I mean, mm. have you ever thought about if you could solve one infamous murder case that's been unsolved, is there one that stands out for you that you would love to solve? Yeah. The OJ case. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you yeah, brought that up because yeah. I mean, I don't care what anybody says that case will fascinate yeah, me all day yeah, long yeah. because it's so one of my questions actually is, did OJ do it? And do you think he had an accomplice if you think he did it? I think OJ did it. I don't know that I, he had an accomplice, maybe somebody after the fact, you know, or yeah. something. But um, now, uh, if it wasn't OJ, it was somebody that had the same passion and um, emotion for the victim that he did. Mm-hmm. You can probably narrow that down to OJ. So, I was just going to say, you, you know, can probably narrow so, it down to OJ. You know, right? um, yeah, yeah, you know, and I, and I certainly don't want to seem as if though I can pass judgment on because I don't know anything. Sure. I didn't work the case, sure. but um, there are certain foundations that are laid in every murder investigation, and um, you know, I don't know. I think it's um, a, a failure on on so many different levels. So, I mean, there has to be a failure on so many different levels when it's unsolved, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's you know, you've got families grieving and they don't have the answers yeah. that they need, so. Definitely. But gosh, what a, that was like definitely the crime of the century. What stands out to you when you know you're sitting out, you're sitting in front of a cold blooded killer? I mean, I know you said you can kind of see it in their eyes, but um, what stands out to you? I mean, do they really just lack empathy? I mean, they are they really like as subhuman as we think they are? Yeah, they are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But um, I think the challenge though, for me was to get in there and try to get inside there. You know, inside their head, mm-hmm. for lack of a better uh, term, or in that space. You know, it's always, you know, I, I took this class, um, this hostage negotiations class, and they say that everybody has a trigger or, you know, or, or, you know, some sort of hook that you can use to find out what's important to them. And the floodgates open, and um, that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always look for that, you know, and it's not as obvious that, as you may think. Telling somebody they're going to prison for the rest of their life usually doesn't work. You know, mm-hmm. if they have conditions outside, they're just as bad. But there's something, you know, maybe it's, you know, your dog's going to go to a shelter, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, some people don't like care that. about their mom, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah it's true, but your dog. <laughs> yeah, you know, stereo you just put in your car. So, you know, it's just, yeah. it could be something really small. It's just finding that thing that, so looking for that in somebody that's so cold and withdrawn, it's, there's something. Yeah, it's just, that's uh, interesting. Ugh, that's it's creepy because yeah. anytime I see pictures of these sociopaths, you know, you look them up online. I'm always looking at their eyes, going, "Can yeah. I see it? Can I see it?" And I always yeah. think I can, but maybe yeah. it's because I already know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's creepy looking at somebody like Ted Bundy, and uh, I mean, honestly, even yeah. 
you know, OJ at yeah. times, yeah. I look at him and I go, I don't know. I think maybe I can see something there. But again, like yeah. you said, we don't. Yeah. So the TV show Murder Chose Me on Investigation Discovery. I'm a huge fan. Love the show. How'd this opportunity come about? Working a case. um, I worked a murder case. um, Pregnant um, girl. She's 19 when she got killed. And um, the production company, Jupiter Entertainment, had another show, um, Fatal Attraction. And they interviewed me for that. And they came back and interviewed me for another. And uh, before you know it, they were, hey, you want a show? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Why not? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So it, um, I think it was, um, it's a good thing. I mean, it's a, it's a good way uh, to uh, reach people. And I think it's, it's, a, it's spiritual, actually. I think that God's plan was for me to be able to tell everybody that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it works. I mean, people connect on levels that you'd never imagine. And uh, so, work yeah, definitely, yeah, you definitely got a platform now. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, ID, yeah. it's a great, it's a great yeah, network. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's, yeah. um, I don't know when it started gaining its popularity, but mm-hmm. when the opportunity came about to talk to you, the first question somebody asked me was, well, do you watch ID? And yeah. I'm like, do I watch ID? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. it's a, you've got some good yeah. shows. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a, it's a great network. I mean, they, yeah. they actually listen to what you got to say, <laughs> you know, and they, they, they try to stay true to it. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, it, it worked out. I mean, they're, you know, the, the thing I always say is that, you know, it's kind of amazing for somebody from Bangladesh to, mourn with somebody from Shreveport. It just sure. brings the world closer and people kind of actually reach out and feel things that they would have otherwise not known. So right. yeah, it works. Very cool. Uh, tell me a little bit about the show. I mean, obviously I've watched it, but so uh, uh, these are cases that yeah, are from your yeah. past, your yeah. career. Yeah. These are all the homicide cases that I worked um, as a homicide detective. I host and narrate the show and there's an actor, John Nicholson, who plays me in the reenactment portion of it. And uh, I'll, tell part of the story and he'll reenact it and then I'll tell the other part. It's a, it's a first person. So that's, what's kind of cool about it. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just a great formula. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I was, we were talking about in the beginning. I think for me, what works is, you know, like we said, the true crime TV can get a little cheesy because yeah, yeah. whenever I watch a true crime show, that's a little cheesy. It distracts right. me from the real seriousness right. of the story. Right, we're talking right. about murder. When I watch Murder Chose Me, it's 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 not cheesy, yeah. and, and so it doesn't distract me. And I get really deep yeah. into the story, and I can feel it, you know, on a human emotional level. But I also think they do a really good job. Like I said, you know, the actor who plays you, when you're sitting there talking, you know, at the table about a case, and it just cuts to him yeah. actually yeah. acting out that. Yeah. And it just uh, is such a seamless transition. It was yeah. a great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great actor to yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He and I, um, we have similar personalities, so we, we kind of hit it off. How has being on TV changed your life? You're a big TV star now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I you know, it, it has, I guess, but, um, I kind of don't get into it. You know? Yeah. I mean, being a police officer for so long, it's kind of, you're, you're always suspicious of everybody. You know, people yeah. at the grocery store that come up by you think you're going to shoot them or they're going <laughs> to shoot you. But, yeah, um, yeah. it changes, I guess it changes a lot. But um, probably benefits my kids more than me, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they like that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, I don't know. I kind of I haven't really changed a whole lot about my routine. And I went back to work at the DA's office, so I didn't really have a chance to get into that. Sure. Get wrapped you know, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you talked about your daughters. I saw. Did you author a book um, called did, um, Things My Daughter Should yeah, Know? Is yeah, that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. what prompted you to write that book? Well, you know, um, I got to a point in life where, um, you know, I guess maybe because of my work, I had all these failed relationships. And, um, you know, I, I have my daughter was growing into a, a young lady at that time. And, I, you know, I don't know. I just wanted to 
tell her mm-hmm. what she could look forward to or not, you know, yeah. and, and what to, to expect out of relationships and maybe um, give her the, the knowledge and the information that any father would want to give his daughter, you know, because I truly believe that a woman gets the unfiltered truth from her father, you know, because he has, that. you know, so it was pretty raw. It's just pretty much, hey, yeah. don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Yeah. There's not a lot of bargaining. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, and it's pretty raw about what happens in certain yeah. relationships that don't go right, you know, when guys lie, when guys are possessive controlling and all that stuff. So you, you pick up all that stuff in your, your career and your failed relationships. You put it all together and you want your children to do better. <laughs> so it's so just, true. Yeah, so you put it out there. And I think you're right. You know, I think uh, us, and I can't brush every mom with a broad stroke, but I know yeah. personally speaking, you know, yeah. I do tend to sugarcoat yeah, and, and yeah. I rely on my husband yeah. to give it to them real. And yeah. I think we're serving them so much more by yeah, just giving, yeah. like you said, just be blunt yeah. about yeah. it because yeah. I think that they'll be released off into the world and their oh, adulthood. Yeah. Yeah being better off for it, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, hearing yeah. those things. And, oh my gosh, I can't imagine the things a homicide detective would tell. Oh, yeah, that's, I, I mean, mean they're, they're getting I everything. I mean, I mean, my daughter could bring Gandhi home and I'd find a problem with him, you know? <laughs> yeah. so, it's just it's the way it is. You know? I just, it's, just I, it's so funny. Thing. I was talking to Anna before you got here and I only knew you before this from watching the show. I said, man, yeah. he is intimidating. And I said, where was yeah. he? Like, I need a friend yeah. like you for when my son was a teenager yeah. to just, I just need to call in reinforcements. Like my Son's just being a total, sorry, yeah. teenage a hole. Yeah. Yeah. I need to call Rod yeah. Demery in and go. All right, sit down in front yeah. of him. Yeah. And yeah. Cut through yeah. the BS. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, my son gets that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he gets that a lot. What's next for you personally and professionally? I started a while back in a master's program in theology. I want to finish it because mm. I want to teach um, social sciences, criminal justice, um, sociology, yeah, that kind of stuff. So I think that's probably what I'm going to do. Very cool. Gosh, I mean, as if everything you've already done just isn't enough. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You're an overachiever. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I think it's just, uh, yeah, I've been blessed. Yeah. It's kind of, can't really just take it. Yeah. Yeah. Very neat. So I have a very serious question for you, Rob. Given all the experience you have, do you think you could commit the perfect murder? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. so glad you're yeah. honest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, somebody else asked me that, and I said, you know, if you work at Burger King, you can make a good Whopper, right? <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. So you could commit the perfect murder. Oh, I always okay. have these conversations yeah. with my my friends who are like true crime obsessed, and I I think I have it in my head how I might. Do. Yeah. I mean, but we're there's joking the, there, here, there, but there's there's one caveat. <laughs> Everybody does, <laughs> you know. The, yeah, yeah, probably. So, you know, right. Like they yeah. go into it thinking, I'm going to get away with yeah, this. They're right? so smart, right? Yeah, so <laughs> right. I'm going to so, do this. I'm going to yeah. cover up this way. Yeah. And it's interesting. Well, I just really appreciate you taking the time no, with me. You. You're, you're really you fascinating, impressive guy. Thank and you. Uh, it's really cool that you're able to transition into, you know, starring in the show because, you know, a homicide detective, I mean, Nothing against you because you got a great personality, yeah. but I don't know if you guys are known for your yeah, we're having, to... you know, have a, <laughs> yeah. the most shining personality, yeah, and you yeah, do. You're a really yeah. dynamic well, guy, and I, I enjoy the show that. because of it. So, yeah. well, I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Thanks. I want to say a few quick thank yous to some people who made this episode possible. Thank you so much to Jason Galbraith for making sure the sound quality of this episode is top notch. This was my first in-person interview, and Jason took the stress of worrying about the audio quality off my shoulders. Jason is a podcast host himself, and I highly suggest you check out his shows. He hosts the Evening Radio Podcast and the Difference Between Us Podcast. 
Please check out both of his shows and leave them both a five-star rating and review if you're so inclined. Thank you also to my awesome audio editor and show producer, John Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. John actually connected Jason and me, and I can't thank him enough for that. John is a critical part of the Murderish podcast as he makes all of the necessary edits. He adjusts sound quality to make it a pleasant listening experience for all of you. He adds all the music and does so much more. If you need a top-notch audio editor for your project or podcast, check out audioeditingsolutions.com. You won't regret it. Last but certainly not least, I want to thank Rod Demery for taking time to talk to me. Rod is a very sharp yet down-to-earth guy who I found to be so open about his life and his experiences. There are so many fascinating dynamics about Rod and his life. It's no wonder Hollywood came knocking and offered him a TV show. Season 2 of Murder Chose Me on Investigation Discovery airs on April 4th. Stop what you're doing right now and put this show in your queue. It's a must-see for true crime junkies. As always, you guys, thank you so much for listening to Murderish. We've come a long way together and there's so much more to do. I'm excited about the future of the show and taking all of you along for the ride. Until next time, stay safe. I look forward to seeing you all again soon. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't be shy. Tell a friend. The word of mouth is powerful. You can follow the podcast on social media, on Twitter at MurderishPod, and on Facebook at Murderish Podcast. I have a closed group set up for us to discuss all things murderish. If you'd like to take your support for the podcast a step further, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash murderish. If you choose to become a patron, you'll get some extra perks in exchange. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash murderish. Murderish merchandise is also available at two online stores. Links to the online stores are available in show notes and in the About section of the Murderish Podcast Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Yeah, go ahead and uh, say a few things. Okay, um, murderish. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I have a hat for you, which is really funny. Oh, I just cool. have to pull this out cool. now because my husband was dying. He's all, do you really think a homicide detective's going to wear a hat? Says, oh, but I want wow. you to yeah. have it. You yeah, don't definitely. have to wear it, but hey. I just want to give you a little oh, gonna, swag gonna, oh, just yeah, because. I'm going to wear it, actually. I appreciate that. But he's yeah. like, do you really think he's oh, going to wear it? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like murderish to me is like a... Like, I'm not a murderer. I'm just murder-ish. You're yeah, true yeah, crime yeah, obsessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. a true crime junkie. It's it's an adjective. Oh, man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank I really you. appreciate it. Vacuum podcast is the best. No, it's not a vacuum podcast. It's a murderish podcast. Is that, um, what the, what is murderish podcast? It's the best podcast in the world. Do you like murderish podcast? Murderish podcast. Best in the whole place. Yeah! That's what I think. Hi, True Crime fans. I'm Erin. And I'm Shay. We host All Crime, No Cattle, a conversational podcast which focuses on true crime stories from the Lone Star State. We strive to bring you a balanced and well-researched story about Texas cases big and small. We do the research so you don't have to. 
We also end every episode with a good news story, just to remind everyone that real life isn't quite as depressing as true crime can make it out to be. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All crime, no cattle, because crime is bigger in Texas, y'all. Hi, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm the host of Dark Histories Podcast. I'm a huge fan of an unsolved mystery, true crime, and the fringe, strange, and out-there aspects of our cultural history. Each episode of Dark Histories focuses on a different subject, from a peculiar poisoning in Victorian England to the role of vampires in fiction and folklore. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or head over to darkhistories.com for more subscription links and details about the show. I hope to have you join us soon. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.